From the Amore Cafe and Juice Bar in Inwood, New York City, welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air, where we meet musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home in what we call affectionately Upstate Manhattan. I'm your host, Aaron Sims, and today we're returning to our artist spotlight with painter-illustrator Elisa Gore. Many Inwood residents know Elisa from her paintings depicted in Inwood in all its natural beauty, viewable on her blog and website, and from many plein air sessions she has led in Inwoodville Park, among other places. She's been painting professionally over 25 years, and her work hangs in many private homes and over 70 public collections. We're going to talk to her about that and so much more. But first, let me welcome you, Elisa, to Inwood Artworks On Air. Hi, Aaron. Thrilled to be here. It's wonderful to have you here with me on this gorgeous spring day, looking out on a unnaturally quiet Broadway during um, this time. Uh, we are, of course, experiencing unprecedented and, uh, well, moment here. It's uh, the seventh week of quarantine in the face of the worldwide coronavirus pandemic. Non-essential businesses are closed, and um, we're all paused here in New York for a little bit, um, and many around the world and the country are as well, practicing social distancing, and uh, it's been a strange new adjustment for us all. For the record, we are practicing social distancing here on the podcast today. Uh, We're disinfected and all that good stuff, Um, so we're taking our precautions. Um, But first thing, Elisa, how are you and yours doing? Generally speaking, we're fine. You know, I have so many unfinished projects that I could be live under quarantine for a year and still not get to the bottom of them. Um, so I have a lot to keep me in distracted um, from the crazy change in our lives right now. I'm thrilled to say that I've lived in Inwood for 35 years, that I raised my family here, as well as have been fortunate enough to have a place where I can also have a studio and work in my own home. I raised two fantastic daughters right on the corner of 215th Street and Indian Road. And my biggest frustration right now is that they've, you know, flown the coop. They're both educators. One is in Florida and the other is in California. And I have darling granddaughters that I can't tickle right now and I can't visit um, because of the, the pandemic. And it only makes it more desirable you know it's as if the thing that you can't have you know makes it ever more elusive and attractive so when you say you know how can you remain positive and be creative in an environment where there's so much disruption of the fabric of the community and people say to me oh you're a painter you can just hold up in your studio you must be getting a lot of work done and I thought yeah you know one of the reasons we stay in studios is because we're so sensitive that we pick up all the vibrations and the vibration is crazy right now so it's hard to see the craziness in the world and try to make something beautiful but I've been trying that's all you can do, right? Yeah. That's, and that's how you remain sane. Well, a version of it, right? My sanity is in Wood Hill Park. And so I've been going out in, in March. I, I noticed that the weeping cherry tree that's next to the boathouse, that is a special tree in 
my heart, place in my heart is of trees, and is for about half of the people in Inwood. I mean, people fight to get to sit underneath that bench. And there's, I'm sure there have been many, many engagements cemented there. And so I got to sit under there and I brought out, I carry a little watercolor sketchbook with me. And I've did, I've painted, gosh, close to 20 little paintings of this tree. I and mean, they're mainly parts of the tree and as it flowers and every day my feeling is just to escape the the general buzz of Armageddon in the atmosphere and just look at something that I see as very uh, a real positive and hopeful image. Well, it's f- fairly safe to say right now that we're living in a world that hardly anyone could have anticipated a few months ago. And someone who has spent decades observing and recording the world, as you have, what does all this look like to you now as an artist? You use, essentially, you use the neighborhood as a canvas. I actually am guilty of trying to escape the neighborhood constantly for decades. You know, a lot of my work is are rural landscapes, you know, wide open space things. And I, in the past uh, 10 years or so, I've started, I've been a landscape painter for... Uh, 35 years. And I've worked a lot where I would gather materials upstate during the summer and bring them back and develop paintings in my studio. So since the particular market that my dealer has been, has once, or she felt, once um, images that don't have structures, human structures in them. So that, you know, if it had a bridge or a building or a house or a barn or, you know, it's definitely a turnoff for them. I've avoided doing them. And so in Inwood, at least my view of Inwood includes the largest architectural feature is this bridge that's a half a mile long that just smacks me in the head every time I walk out the door. So at one point about 10 years ago, when I started working outside with an easel, making paintings and studies that weren't just like sketches that were never seen, which is what a lot of my work before was, you know, these are things that could be sold. And I have sold some of them. You know, I started, I got lazy. I didn't, and I don't want to spend so much time traveling. And I've got all this beautiful nature outside. So I've started to uh, work out in the park sometimes. And now I'm happy to paint in the park every single day. I could stay there all year round. What's it about that bridge that really attracts you other than its pure expansiveness? What's nice about Inwood Hill Park is the design is beautiful. The arc of the bridge is echoed by the shape of the shoreline of the inlet there. And then the same curve is in part of the window features in the boathouse. The reason why I asked that question, because, because you see the world, artists see the world in lines and shapes and contours. Listen, I have a degree from the Penn School of Design. It's all one thing. You know, painting isn't different. You know, the rules that govern architecture are not very different from the rules that govern painting. People think artists are so solitary. If if anyone's listened to you for the past few minutes, they can see how community-oriented you are and and how far-reaching you are and to try to find 
uh, solutions and uh, to be of an aid to your community. You've always strived to share your craft from novices to aspiring painters to established folks. You co-founded a paint in wood I wanted to bring up. Oh, oh, thank you for that. It's just a, an outdoor painting event that uh, Sally Fisher and I started last June to try and bring some awareness to, the, to all aspects of this part of town. So someone came up from as far away as Baltimore because she loves painting the urban landscape. We had people from uh, Red Hook and Brooklyn who came up here because they wanted to paint the arches, uh, you know, the some of the things on the shoreline. And people don't realize how you, it's so unique in terms of not just the geography, but also, you know, as a subject, if I could figure out a way to do it, you know, just from my view from my apartment on Indian Road of the park, there are four different major forms of transit that come through there. I can see Metro North, I can see the the West Side Highway or the Henry, Henry Hudson Highway. There's the waterway, the boat channel. Then there's like pedestrians and you know, I can see buses go over the bridge. It's a nexus for a lot of different forms of moving. So it, I find it, you know, a fascinating spot to be. A lot of times during this pause we're in, you know, I carry my backpack with like all colored pencils and the gouache and the watercolor and the paper and everything on me, with me all the time. And often I'll just go over to the park and I'll just sit there and I'll stare at the water and I've been watching all the different birds coming in. I saw the first Canadian geese landed. You know, there's some nesting of, of Muscoda marsh. There's a little babies that were born a few days ago. You know, there's just all kinds of life. It's unique in the New York City to be able to get close to nature. Which is also part of the natural landscape, right? Becomes the animals themselves become part of that natural landscape. Right, but it is, it's reclaimed. You know, it's not native. The other thing is when I walk up in the hills and in Woodhill Park, um, I have an interest in botany because I used to teach at the New York Botanical Garden in their illustrating program. Although I didn't know as much about botany then when I started because I started because I was a medical illustrator. I've since learned a lot about all kinds of plant identification. And I was up there with Sally, who's supposed to know so much uh, because, you know, she's a friend of Inwood Hill Park. She didn't know that half those plants up there are invasives because they were the remnants of old gardens. You know, they're all these um, crab apple trees, or you know, that was somebody's backyard. The Forsythian stuff. They're survivors from a hundred years ago. It's pretty amazing that fact that we're part of this chain, right? How, how we can still keep referencing to that chain and how it keeps appearing to us, right? I could be completely wrong here. This I'm is sure just, someone will tell you if you are. I'm sure that the Parks Department will tell me too. But the idea that you you would go in with a to a landscape that you know, had been developed in different ways several times just in the past 150 years and then say, well, these are invasive species, so we have to rip them out because they're not native. You know, you have to rip out half the park. Most of the trees up there were planted. They're left over from palatial homes. Anyway, so my two cents. Well, we're hearing over and over again how wonderfully focused you are in this community and 
the literally topography of it, whether it's architecture or it's natural resources, is that you're very much a historian, whether you know it or not, in your work. Um, you're capturing things, not intentionally, I'm saying, but you're the 35 years you've been here, you, you have expressed such a strong connection to the our natural world in which we are participants in. And I think why your work is so strong in so many ways is that you have this personal connection to the neighborhood and to the materials, to the natural world. And I think that's something really special that you share that comes through your work. It would be really neat to see in, at the New York Botanical Garden sometime when there's a show, um, and perhaps it is a show about the five boroughs of Manhattan and maybe Inwood gets to be presented and I can very much see some of your work there. I've already had a solo show at the New York Well, Garden, fancy but, you. But um, years ago, and they have an annual plein air event there. But this is my home, Aaron. That's what, you know, that's why I'm looking at it. It's what happens to be in front of me. I mean, I like being here. I could live anywhere, just about. I mean, 57th and Park, probably not, but... It's intentional that I've stayed here, and I don't have any intention of living anywhere else or wanting to. So describe the path to Inwood. The path to Inwood. You know, I would say, you'd like to, how, what's the best way to put it? My approach to life is really intuitive. So if something I perceive as an opportunity, I'll usually investigate it. But I don't sit down and plan it. Like, I never planned to move to New York. It was an accident. And I never planned to move to Inwood. When I was engaged to be married, my husband-to-be was finishing medical school and about to do a residency. And I said, let's make a deal. Because we were living in Texas at the time. I'll get married if you'll do your residency anywhere north and east of Baltimore. Because my family was outside Philadelphia, my grandmother was getting old, I'd been away for like five or six years, and really, in his field, the best education was here anyway. So uh, he picked New York Hospital, so we ended up here. But it wasn't my idea. But New York is the center of the art world, so I'm, and I was a medical illustrator, so I freelanced as a med, you know, not the easiest job to find work you don't have a lot of flexibility. There are only a few hundred medical illustrators in the whole country. So New York is one place where he did. And then I opened up the New York Times one day and the education section, and it said, assistant professor, medical illustration. And I applied for a job. I mean, but it was as random as I opened the Sunday paper. And I thought, oh, I always wanted to teach. And I applied for this, it, but it's like my, like living in a, in a pinball machine. I just sort of bounced right down, right down, right downhill, and, or uphill anyway. I ended up in Inwood the same way. I, we were living in Hell's Kitchen. My husband was finishing his fellowship. We had a large dog and a small baby. And we were living in a roach-infested residents that we were required to leave anyway. And I had no idea what we were, where we were going to go. And I had a friend from college who had 
just bought a co-op on Seaman Avenue. I said, Anna, what am I going to do? She said, you know, I was talking to someone in the playground, and there's a bright, beautiful apartment on 215th Street and Indian Road. Why don't you come up and look up here? And, you know, we moved into that the building I'm living in now, but it was it all just totally random. You followed the signs. I guess I wanted to live uh, next to a park to walk the dog. And I grew up in the country. The acres of concrete is really hard for me. So anyway, here we are so much later. And how does uh, your medical illustration world inform your plain air? Does the former shape the latter? Um, Wheels are turning hard. Uh, They're completely different. Medical illustration is fascinating, and it requires complete understanding of anatomy. In my training, I dissected two cadavers, you know, and I took a half a dozen courses in the medical school, you know, pathology and, you know, anatomy and histology and the things that I had to be able to not make mistakes. The, the most important thing is that you don't, you know, your work is a historical record. Illustrations are used to educate and to communicate information to other people in a nonverbal way. And so the drawings have to be accurate. And it's a life or death accuracy. At the end, it's, I'm not responsible for, you know, uh, approving it. You know, the, you know, it's always a collaboration. People, either research scientists or medical professionals or nursing, I did patient education, uh, work at one point, but it is a matter of communicating. And then some medical illustrations can be pretty splashy. All those pharmaceutical advertisements with the, you know, the transparent bodies and blood flowing and stuff, they're designed by medical illustrators. You know, it's fun and interesting and challenging and very technical. I started teaching 40 years ago, and I would say by 30 years ago, I was, um, you know, my skills were obsolete. But I did learn a lot of illustration skills. I went into it because I was, number one, good in science. And number two, I wanted to keep drawing. And I needed a job that would, uh, you know, I wanted to keep drawing and painting. And, And I wanted a job that would make me have to practice every day. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, pragmatic choice. I don't regret it. And now you have this... Oh, yeah, and so, but regular painting, like observational painting or plein air painting is a whole... it's It's expressive. You know, medical illustration is not expressive. It's illustration. You know, you're trying to show... You're trying to communicate a specific message that has a... That, that's practical. It's it, different from like general illustration where you might be making a picture about a story or something. And uh, botanical illustration is just another form of scientific illustration. 
So uh, I started teaching at the botanical garden because they needed somebody, they wanted somebody to teach uh, designing for the printer. So like the kinds of things you need to know for printing illustrations. And then two or three years later, they said, oh, you know, we need somebody to do this basic scientific drawing course. And I thought, well, shit, I can do that. Then I got to teach a botanical watercolor class, a very, you know, extremely anal, really traditional watercolor technique. I, um, you know, temperamentally was not a good fit for me. But uh, then again, I learned a whole lot about botany, you know, as a result of having to do that. So, you know, life is, the learning possibilities never end. Exactly right. Well, there's a quite a bit of your work that we didn't get a chance to discuss. Uh, is there a place where listeners can go to find out more about your projects and yourself and what you're working on? Your website, perhaps? You know, my website also got frozen a year and a half ago. So I have, um, that's another project that's <laughs> happening between 10 p.m. and midnight. <laughs> it's probably going to have to be rebuilt from the ground up. But right now I'm trying to uh, still work with iWeb. At any rate, um, yes, you can find the most information about me and links to everything on my website. There's also there. And it is my name, Alisa Gore. E-L-I-S-S-A-G-O-R-E dot net. We will have those links up for Elisa's website uh, where you can find her. Um, and then maybe you'll find another website in a few moments after she figures out how to do that one. Um, so thank you so much, Elisa, for joining us here on Artist Spotlight edition of Inwood Artworks On Air, where we showcase the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and visual artists of all stripes that make their home here in Upper Manhattan. Be sure to follow us at Inwood Artworks and InwoodArtworks.nyc on the web and keep up with all we do, including the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Al Fresco, our pop-up art galleries, live performances, and so much more. And stay tuned for more editions of Artist Spotlight. Thanks again to the fine folks here at Amore Cafe and Juice Bar for hosting us. Please support your small businesses here in the neighborhood. For Inwood Artworks On Air, this is Aaron Sims. Thanks for listening to this Artist Spotlight edition of Inwood Artworks On Air. If you have a moment, please show some love right now for this podcast and for the musicians, artists, filmmakers, and writers of Inwood by reviewing Inwood Artworks On Air on Apple Podcasts. It really helps, and we appreciate it. So thanks. Be sure to also check out our live and local series where we tell the stories of Inwood's musical artists and their creators. In the meantime, stay tuned for more Artist Spotlight programs released monthly from Inwood Artworks.